At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This episode is powered by denmeditation.com. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. You guys know I love my mind bender episodes, right? The ones where you just want to keep learning, want to keep talking, want to keep thinking. And RJ Spina is one of those. He is on today. He is amazing. He wrote a book where he explains how he healed himself. He was paralyzed from the neck down and he knew that he was going to heal himself. None of the doctors believed him. None of the nurses believed him, but he did. If you met him today, you would have no clue he even went through that trauma and had those injuries. Now, what's amazing about this conversation when you listen to it is you realize how much he was born into this world to do this. We really talk about kind of knowing that you come here with a different purpose. And so then the information he has about who we are as humans and our full potential is unbelievable. This episode is so inspiring and invigorating because it reminds us all of our potential. And what's also really cool is we have a workshop coming up with him March 19th. Again, this is virtual, so you can do it anywhere in the world. It is at 7 p.m. specific standard time, and he's doing magic tricks. What I love about this, and I've done this with him before, is he teaches you the quickest, easiest ways to do these meditations. And when I mean quick, it's like two minutes that will blow open either your chakras or bring you into a state of enlightenment or an understanding of something beyond. He has, he is here on this earth to teach us how to evolve into our higher versions of ourselves. Do not miss this opportunity to practice with them. Again, it's March 19th. Go to denmeditation.com. In the middle of the episode, we will drop a discount for you guys because we love you guys so much. So stay tuned for that. But don't miss this opportunity to practice with him. I'm so excited for this conversation, RJ, because I feel like, you know, in this business, we always talk about like the power of thought and miracles and, but you are like real life evidence of what we can do. Yeah. 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 And the, I think the important thing about that is um, that the, the inner mechanics is the same. It's universal and understanding those inner mechanics. And it's a repeatable, uh, I, I found that I've remembered or developed or created or was given, which is kind of all the same thing. Uh, a repeatable and robust process for for self healing. the The book is really it's about healing, but it's it's written about self realization. So it's through my own self realization or whatever words you really want to use that all the know how and the remembering of how self healing actually works came back to me. And it's the same thing that I used for myself to put a my destroyed body back together. And it's the same technique, understandings, and teachings and protocols that I that now it's, I guess it's in the tens of thousands of people that have used and achieved uh, levels of health and happiness that they never really experienced before. 
Well, I mean, and what a huge gift that you're giving everyone. But let's back up just a little bit so everyone understands the context. And I'm sure you're so sick of telling the story, <laughs> but but it, it, you almost need to hear it to understand what it means to be where you're at now and exactly how powerful these techniques are. So talk a little bit about it. You you went in for something, right? I mean, talk about, I know you ended up fully paralyzed through sepsis, but what happened? Why were you even going in in the first place? Yeah, yeah, okay. So let, let me give some context uh, just in terms of myself. We'll go all the way back to when I was a, a kid, little kid. Um, <clears throat> I would just, you know, what we now call astral projection, I, I would just leave my body. It was totally normal for me. Uh, I wasn't trying to do it. I certainly hadn't been taught. I was literally a kid. Like when and do you remember that? Yeah, it, it's it's literally. I would just relax, and it would just it would just start to happen. I would just relax, close my eyes, and in literally one second, my consciousness or my sentience, which is what we really are, was outside of my body, and I'd be looking at my body. And in the beginning, I I, I thought because I didn't really know better. I thought I was just confined. My consciousness, even though my body was there, was confined to say like my parents' house. And I kind of never really left the house. I would go look at them, see what they're doing. Then I realized that I could kind of go anywhere. And so, it, and once I was out of my body, just my intention took me to wherever it is that I want to go. And so visiting and uh, traversing the frequencies, if you will, or what people call dimensions, they're really more frequencies. I would start doing this uh, literally on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. And I would interact with what we would call advanced beings. And I used to have a mantra. If that's not strange enough, as a kid, I used to also have a mantra. And that was that I used to say to myself as I was doing this, I would literally say, I retain all information and wisdom contained within this realm. And I used to just say that over and over again. And it was literally like every time I did this and it was daily, multiple times a day. Okay. How old were you when you remember this starting? Oh, a four. Now, did you four. ever, I'm assuming when it started, you probably just thought this was normal. Was there a moment where you realized not everyone's doing this? Yeah. When I asked my mom where she goes, uh, <laughs> I, that, I literally, I remember like it was yesterday and it was, it was a lot longer than yesterday, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I asked her, <laughs> where do you go? when you relax or go to sleep. And she's, she's like, what do you mean? I just, I, normally I don't even remember anything. I go, you don't interact with, with different beings and you don't go to all these, these different places in outer space. She's like, no, I don't do that. I go, yeah, I do that all the time. It's like, what are you talking about? Nobody does that. I don't do that. Are you sure you're okay? And that, that kind of thing. So it was up until that moment, I literally thought it was totally, it was totally normal for me. But now, did it, she, and how was her reaction? Like, was it one that made you nervous? Like, did she make you feel like that's not okay what you're doing? Like how, because everyone reacts differently in those scenarios and then you in, react differently. So what was her? It, well, I, I've always been, we'll, we'll use the word different. So it wasn't more concern. It was just more like, well, that's Here's my son. Another layer. Yeah. yeah, that's just my son. He's unusually, he says unusual things. He acts unusually and all this kind of stuff. So it wasn't necessarily poo-pooing it, but the look on her face made me realize that it was highly, highly unusual when I literally thought it was universal. What were other strange things you did that made you feel different or made your parents know that you were different? Oh, a, a, a knowingness. Um, we can call this claircognizance or even we can even call it precognition. Uh, Claire sent the Claire's uh, I've always been, I'll use the word psychic. It's not the right word, but 
I've always been very psychic. I would know when things were going to happen. I could feel things. I would predict things. And oddly enough, when my father finally started to <laughs> pay attention to what I was saying, I used to predict things that were going to happen when we'd be watching baseball together. Ooh. And I literally used to say, okay, watch this. This is going to be a home run. And he's like, nah, this guy's in a slump. He hasn't had a hit in two weeks. The next pitch is a home run. And I would do it over and over and over. And he's like, how are you doing this? So, and I wouldn't even bother trying to explain at the time, but at that point, he kind of couldn't deny it because I related it to him in a way that he could understand. I would just predict things that were going to happen. So Claire, Claire sentience or Claire cognizance has always been on full force. Can I ask for you what that looks like? So for instance, you're sitting there watching baseball with your dad. Is it your, are you hearing there's going to be a home run? Are you seeing it happen? Is it in a different area? Like, how does that present for you? Uh, it, it can be all of them at the same time, but I would say predominantly it is an inner knowingness. It's, it's, it's past, it's past confidence. I can actually feel, and I know what is absolutely going to happen. And it's, uh, it's unmistakable. There's no way to misinterpret it. It's more quote unquote real than the physical world, that feeling. Do you get it for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are certain things I no one is allowed to know everything about themselves. And anyone who says that they do is just they're, they're unaware. Uh, I am, I certainly am aware of things that are going to happen for myself. And I've seen these things even since I was a kid. I told my mom a whole bunch of things that were going to happen when I was a kid. But no one is allowed to know or see everything about themselves because it removes an aspect of the learning process. It's kind of mm -hmm. like someone giving you the answers to the test. Well, you didn't actually go through the process of studying and learning. So there are things that have occurred in this life that I had no idea was coming and certainly uh, paralysis was one of them, even though I used to say as a kid, if I ever get sick, I'll just heal myself. So I was already remembering what was going to happen, but I never would have guessed that kind of level of sort of total destruction of my body. So you would say that to your parents, if I ever get yeah. sick, I'll heal myself. Yeah. They're like, good boy. It was really just part of me, uh, just, uh, just different, just different. And that, that, that was part of it. I used to talk about things like that. I'll just heal myself. How did you do in school? Like socially and. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I was the bane of existence, uh, for, uh, many of my teachers. And the, I would think the, so. The, the mantra was the same. The mantra was kind of like, RJ, you are. So you are smart. so brilliant. You can do absolutely <laughs> anything. And you are so unmotivated and absolutely disruptive uh, in class. And, uh, you know, we're all better off if you're not in here. So I barely graduated high school because I barely went to high school. I, I thought I could not get myself interested. I thought it was pointless. And I think, and I think really at that time, I would have to say that uh, arrogance uh, was at the forefront more than um, more than wisdom. I knew that I knew things mm. that no one else could know or tap into, but the outer personality uh, hadn't been able to assimilate or accommodate the level of, of uh, sentience. And it came across in my younger days as just utter arrogance. Interesting. Yeah. And do you feel now, do you have kids? I do. I do not have kids. No. If you had a child, would you feel like what import would you put on school or education? Well, 
Well, I'm you get these safe. questions a lot. <laughs> no, no, and I, I'm, I'm really glad. No, I'm not. This is this is quite refreshing to be honest. Uh, education to me is not education. I mean, we learn about a whole bunch of, or we're brainwashed into a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with what it means to be happy, mm. what it means to be fulfilled, what it means to be kind, what it means to be purposeful, loving compassionate. We're literally taught all the things that are in, in essence, completely and utterly irrelevant. So, uh, if I did have a child, I guarantee that they would be, uh, homeschooled without question. I would want them to learn the things that actually matter, which are the things that, that I just, that I just listed. So talk about this arrogance for a little bit. Cause I love it. What are some things like when you were with adults and you were younger that you just had this knowing that was just so difficult for you to be in that presence, which I'm sure for you felt like they're so dumb. Like I'm sure in some ways, even though, cause it's the arrogant side, like talk about some of that. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I, I used to point out their shortcomings. Oh, uh, in, everyone loves in, that. Yeah. In class. <laughs> uh, like, I, uh, like I said, so that the arrogance was completely covering. There was some innate clairsentience, claircognizance and clairvoyance. And, and really a, a deep level of understanding of things uh, that was completely covered up by arrogance. So I used to just tell them their shortcomings, you know, why they even became a teacher, that how they've kind of really given up on themselves Oof. and you've really given up on us. And it's so apparent as I'm sitting here listening and you're really wasting my time, even though you're saying I'm wasting yours, you're wasting mine and everybody else's. And I used to say this in class, it was Oof. terrible. They would have no control over the class, none. And it's because of the, because of the way that I behaved, unfortunately. But it sounds like that was part of your journey because yeah. I'm going to guess that by the time you got to the paralysis, which we will get to, you to really fully be able to do what you did, there had to be that transition of also understanding kind of, like you said, the compassion and the love and that equanimity, you know, not the arrogance. Yeah, I, I would actually say that, that that really started at about 24 years old. I had suffered um, at the time the loss of uh, several people that were very, very close to me. Um, my best friend, which was my dog, my best friend, my grandmother, we lived in a two, two family house. So I grew up with my grandmother, very close to her. She lived downstairs. So my dog passed away. My grandmother passed away. My uncle, who also lived downstairs, who I was very close to, he <laughs> passed away. My best friend from high school passed away. My sister's husband all passed away. This was in a, in a very, very short period of time. And the, one of the things that was so devastating about this at the time is that, and I was with several of them at the moment of their trend. I was literally with them at several of them at the moment of their transition. And I can remember many, many times looking at my hands as, as they're struggling and all this kind of stuff, looking at my hands, I knew I couldn't bring it out, which drove me nuts. I knew there was something I could do about this. I knew it, not in some in, insane way. I just knew I had some sort of knowingness and some sort of, we'll call it talent or ability, whatever words you want to use, that I'm not tapping into and I can feel it. And the combination of them not being in my life and me not being able to do something about it, when I knew that I could, it just wasn't time yet, when I knew that I could was really, was really too much for me. And I was in utter despair. Mm. And I remember, um, oh, my, one of my best friends at that time, much older than me, uh, and truly, and I mean it, truly one of the wisest people that has ever walked this earth, and I really mean that. I remember I was just distraught, and he said to me, 
He said, RJ, unless you, unless you start meditating deeply, you are, you are never going to make it in this life. You're never going to make it. And I, I remember saying to him, I said, well, you know, what the hell is that going to do for me? Is that going to bring my friends back? Again, arrogant and defiant, right? And he just looked at me, had such kindness and compassion in his eyes. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, when is a rose not a rose? And it just came out of my mouth. And I said, when one fails to recognize one as such. Mm. And he put, he put his hands on my face. And he looked right into my eyes. And he said, Arjun, you do not understand you. You are the wisest of men. And you have no idea yet. You have to meditate. You have to wake up. You must wake up. So at that point, because I was just despondent, I remember just acquiescing just, just so he would stop to tell the truth. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine, fine. I'll go meditate. I'll go meditate. He goes, let me, let me show you some things that I've learned. I'm like, yeah, I'll figure it out myself. Arrogant. So yeah. I, went, I went home that night and I said, you know what? I'm going to meditate because that way I can just check that off as another thing that's a total waste of my time. That doesn't help me. Not going to bring my friends back. It's not bringing any sort of peace to myself whatsoever. I don't even know what I'm doing here anymore. So I, I just sat there and then all of a sudden, this is a meditation I still teach. All of a sudden, it's almost like something came over me and I just started doing these things. Like I said, it's a meditation I still teach. And in that moment, my third eye completely opened and a screen dropped down and I saw things, I'm not going to be specific. I saw things about myself uh, that changed me forever. I, it, it all made sense in about 12 seconds, why I'm so different, why I feel the way that I do, why I was leaving my body as a kid and interacting with advanced beings. It all made sense in literally about 12 seconds. And that was when I was 24 years old. And I would say that was kind of the start mm. of, uh, I guess what we could call, uh, authentic awakening. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's like you stepping into yourself. Yeah, that was it. Uh, that was it. Cause up until then the, the ego mind identity, uh, was driving me crazy. I couldn't hand handle the electromagnetic interference from a physics, physics perspective, the EMI or the ego mind identity that I had developed in relation to the societal conditioning. I could feel that it wasn't me, but it was driving me nuts. And all my innate, uh, we'll call it talents and abilities were, were on hold because my ego mind identity was preventing that. So here's my question. So you say from four, from a young age, you were, you know, already, you know, traveling, traveling dimensions, talking to other beings, talking to higher beings. So you clearly knew that, you know, there was more out there. You're connected to more. You, you understood the quantum physics of it all. How did your relationship change, let's say, with those beings or with that information around this 24? Like when you had this kind of reawakening, how did that communication change? Well, the, the, the major relationship that changed was the relationship with myself. And so I was more directly uh, attuned or aligned uh, with, with what I really am, with the true self, with the sentience, with the, with the love and wisdom who subsets the talents and abilities, which is what we all are, the indirect fractal of God. So the alignment started to happen. And with the, with the alignment to myself and understanding myself more, with that came the access and the uh, availability, the awareness of more and more and more of the greater reality. So it was kind of one and the same, but it truly happened with, with the alignment. And then with the alignment and that meditation, I started to understand, like I said, I started to understand why I'm so different. And with that, it was almost like a permission slip now uh, 
the more I was able to access within myself, the more I was able to access the greater reality and the clarity and the alignment, the communion uh, and the courage uh, all, all came online once that, once that started to happen. Do you communicate with those that passed during that time? Uh, I, I did. I used to do that. I used to give past life, past life readings for people a long time ago in my twenties, yep. a long time ago. And, uh, I stopped because I realized I, I, my idea was that this would help them with their liberation to understand more and would liberate themselves from their suffering. And what I found out rather quickly, uh, <laughs> was that they were creating more identifications with all these other incarnations. Yes, it happens. Were, yeah. It's true. Yeah. So, so I literally, so I stopped. I stopped doing that. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, my life started to change drastically. I, I kept a normal jobs and things like that, but from, I would from love to see you in a normal job. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Right. So, but I mean, I would just work at regular jobs, this and that, but people would always come up to me and ask me like, RJ, how do you know this stuff? How do you, why do you know this? Why do you, you know, I never really would give any kind of explicit answer, but I would just say, oh, I'm just kind of like a psychic something like that. And then eventually, as we got older, we get closer and closer to me being sick. I remember saying to my partner at the time, if I keep pretending that I'm like everybody else, I, I'm going to die. I know it. I'm not here for this. Mm. And it was shortly thereafter. I almost died to say the least. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. When that screen came down, I know you said you don't want to give specifics about what you saw, which I respect. But when the screen came down, I guess my point is you came to this conclusion later, almost when you died of this, like, if I don't actually start being myself. So it's interesting that you kind of had this like, hi, this is why you're different, but you didn't yet connect it to how you can operate in this world in a way of being that. Right. Yeah. I think there was a couple of things there. I wasn't ready. I used to say the world's not ready for what it is that I can teach. No, right. I wasn't ready. So that's the ego mind pointing to everybody else. Uh, mm -hmm. No, it's me. not me. So I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't ready. I hadn't, I hadn't had enough life experience to be able to balance out what was about to happen. So uh, I needed to be of a certain age. I needed to be of a certain maturity. I needed to develop a certain level of intellect too, to be able to deconstruct and therefore teach authentic higher consciousness and light metaphysics, because I didn't have the intellect much younger. I would try to explain some of the things and I'm like, Whoa, what? Right. I just did. I, just couldn't break it down for people the way, the way that I can now. So I needed certain life experiences. I needed certain maturity. I needed to develop my intellect. And then I was really ready. And, and that's when my body was destroyed and I, and I was, and I was liberated. So how did your body get destroyed? It was about seven years. Well, it's April 23rd to be exact, 2016. Uh, I became permanently paralyzed from the, from the, ch uh, from the chest down. Uh, and I was diagnosed with, um, it was sepsis. Uh, was, was, was killing me. I told I had, I was told I had 48 hours to live. But what would, how did the sepsis develop? Do you know? No, like from nobody what? knows. Wow. That's weird. Yeah. Nobody knows. They ran test after test after test after test. Uh, so wow. okay. I'm quite sure I made myself sick Probably so, for this to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, this is part of my life. My last name is Spina, which means spine. So uh, oh, what a coincidence about that. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think so. Right. So I planned it. So I made myself sick. So, so permanently and again, for the paralyzed. audience who's listening, just to catch up, you know, he, he does, it's, I mean, open that up a little bit for people who don't quite understand. It's not like you threw yourself off a bridge. Talk about mentally how you did that. 
So people understand yeah. what you're saying when you say I made myself sick. Sure, sure. We call this as almost like part of the life plan. So part of my life plan was to have uh, this experience, this experience of, of permanent paralysis and near death and all of this kind of diseases and stuff. And so everything that I was doing, I was in alignment with my life plan. And part of that alignment was to make sure that I got sick so that I could then wake up. So I, it wasn't like I was like, you know, drinking poison or things like that. It's just the way that I was operating was yep. just making me sicker and sicker and sicker. And that, and that really was part of the life plan. And so on April 23rd, 2016, um, I was, became permanently paralyzed, permanently, permanently paralyzed from the chest down. Uh, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, Hashimoto's autoimmune, severe Hashimoto's autoimmune disease, uh, type one diabetes, uh, pancreatitis, thyroiditis, uh, I'm missing. Oh, and, uh, autonomic dysreflexia, which anyone who's a paraplegic or quadriplegic or knows a paraplegic and quadriplegic, if your issue or injury is above T6 and the majority of mine was T7 and T8, uh, autonomic dysreflexia completely and utterly destroys your, the systems that run automatically, your autonomic system. So your heart rate, your pulse, your oh. body temperature, your breathing are no longer automatically regulated. And so I would stop breathing, my pulse would plummet, uh, my heart would start racing. And you, a lot of paraplegics and quadriplegics die from complications. You can have an aneurysm, a stroke, go into a coma and just die. Christopher Reeve, Superman, if you remember, Christopher Reeve, mm -hmm. he died from complications of autonomic dysreflexia. So permanent paralysis, all that stuff, and autonomic dysreflexia was all happening at the same time. And so I had emergency life-saving surgery. I had something called a laminectomy. A laminectomy is when they, they scrape off the infection off your off the spine. Okay. Now, I was already paralyzed, uh, but the idea behind it was that it would stop the sepsis, that I, that I wouldn't die if my organs didn't fail from the sepsis, but at least it would stop it in its tracks. And there's a video of this. I mean, I, I documented everything. Yep. You see an MRI, you see the surges. This is not some uh, spiritual fiction or medical canard. Which, this is actually... Which Yep. Yeah, this this occurred. <laughs> and I woke up, literally and figuratively, I had that 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 life saving surgery. When I woke up, the, the veil of forgetting was gone. That's that statement. If I just get sick, I'll just heal myself. All the know how was literally right back in my hands. And in the ICU, and I, doc I documented all of this, as I said, in the ICU, the nurse comes in because I just woke up. She's like, RJ, are you okay? How are you feeling? I said, I'm telling you right now, I am a hundred percent and I'm going to heal myself completely. And so I could tell she's like, uh, he's high from the drugs, you know, from surgery. And then I started explaining in great detail, exactly how I was going to put myself together from energetic templates, the higher templates from channeling intelligent energy into my crown chakra, from dismantling the false or egoic self because the body is a projection of my consciousness. And once I purify my consciousness, which I have, I'm now just going to put my body back together. And these are the steps I'm going to do. And her mouth was just, <laughs> and she's looking at me like, there's no way that it could be that specific. He's not crazy. He hasn't lost it. Cause you know, maybe she just thought it was the high from the drugs. I was too specific. I was so clear about the whole thing. And I said, in a hundred days, I'm going to be healed. And I will walk unassisted. And as you know, I, I had some of the nurses, the physical therapists, because I was in the hospital for months, and the nurses, the physical therapists, the doctors film me because I knew no one was going to believe, believe this true, but I knew I was going to do it. And the information, the know-how of self-healing and self-realization, 
that's what Supercharged Self-Healing, the first book, is all about. The step-by-step process of what to do to heal yourself, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, or all of the above. Were your first students those nurses and doctors? <laughs> One of my first students was a doctor. It wasn't a doctor that was treating me. But uh, I used to teach. The only guest I had for about two months until I was discharged, the only guest I had in the hospital rehab was a Chinese medicine expert. And he, he would come see me. He, he, uh, my girlfriend at the time had been uh, treated by him. And so she kept pleading. It's like, please, you have to go see RJ. I mean, he's paralyzed. He's sick. He's going to die. Please just go see him. And uh, when he showed up, I had never met him. I'll, I'll tell the story real quick. He did yeah, the forward for the book. He did the forward for the book because he was witnessing and participating in this healing. He couldn't, he, he would have said this is impossible. So he goes, I have to write about this. Please let me write the forward for the book. I said, okay. So he came in one time and he practiced, he's an expert at, at Chinese medicine, but he also practices something called cranial sacral therapy. And you might be familiar with that. So I am, but always talk about it as if I don't know anything. Yeah, it's good for the, it's good for the audience. <laughs> so because he's so highly skilled and so highly trained that, so he could put his hands sort of on your head, like literally on your head. And he can feel the different qualities of your nerves, your organs, your wow. tendons, the, the electrical currents that are going through. He can pick up on all the disharmony in the head, all the chaos, all the pain, all the misery. Because he's, I mean, he has literally treated over 100,000 patients. And this is in the forward of the book. Just what I'm talking about is in the forward of the book. So we're talking, and he's looking at me weird even to begin with. And I can tell, and I, I know why, but it doesn't matter. So he's, he's like, I'm going to do something called craniosacral therapy on you. I said, yeah, please go ahead. Right? I was really sick and paralyzed. So he puts his, he puts his hands on my head. Right? He's behind me. He goes behind the hospital bed. And he puts his hands on my head. Right. And I'm waiting for it. Right? He does this. And then he, he pulls his hands away. Pulls his hands away. And then nothing is happening for a few seconds. His name's Adrian. And I said, Adrian, you're all right. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then puts his hands back there, a short pull away and then does it again. And then, and then starts to settle in. Right. And then I know what he's doing as he's doing it. So I started explaining to him where his intention was going based upon craniosacral therapy. I would say, okay, right now you're, you're working on my bladder, aren't you? He's like, how do you know that? I said, it doesn't matter. And then he would do some other things. I go, okay. So, so now, now you're working down the nerves down my legs, right? He's like, yes. So when that first session ends, right, he looks like he's seen a ghost. And I said, Hey, what, what happened? Uh, I already knew, but I said, what happened <laughs> when you put your hands on my head? And he's, and he writes about this and he said, um, he said, I was expecting to feel pain, chaos, uh, all the disfigurement that goes on. Uh, I expected to, to, that it would be just immense suffering with all these specificities. He goes, when I put my hands on your head, he said, it was like I connected to the infinity of the universe itself. It was wide open and it was like this energy surge. And then he, he goes, is that what enlightenment is? So and he, he writes, he writes about that. And so mm. he would work on me and help me. And as he was doing it, I would tell him what he was doing and I would tell him do this now and he would adjust it. And then I would add my intention to some of the things that he was doing. Now, all of this was almost unspoken. So this was all part of it. And then I would explain the, you know, the things that, uh, that are in the book that I understand about 
self-healing. And so he wound up writing the forward, the forward for the book so he could capture that experience. Because he said if he wasn't there, if someone told him the story about that kind of healing and blah, 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 he would have said that's it's absolutely impossible. You cannot heal yourself from that. You certainly can't do it in 100 days exactly like you said you would. I have to write about this. And he used to take me when I got discharged. This is how all this kind of started, me helping people. So when I got discharged, he said, will you please come to my clinic? He's got a great clinic in San Diego. He's incredible. He's like, will you please come to my clinic and start teaching people what you understand about meditation, self-healing, metaphysics? Will you start teaching people this? Yeah, sure. So he'd pick me up and we'd go to his clinic on the weekends. And before you knew it, there was a line out the door and we, we couldn't get everyone in there to for the hour teaching or lecture, whatever, that I would give. And then people would be like, after the, the class, so to speak, RJ, can I, can I work with you? Is there a way that you can, you know, teach me and work with me and help me with this? And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, so all of these things, I, I literally call it a muscle memory. That's what I used to say as a kid, if I get sick, I'll just heal myself. This is a knowingness that's, that's been with me for, um, and I mean it forever. And so I just needed a challenge. A destroyed body is a pretty, is a good challenge. It's a worthy challenge. And I, I accepted it wholeheartedly. And, uh, and that's how we grow from our challenges. So I wanted a worthy challenge and putting myself back together was a worthy challenge. What was step one? <laughs> the, I call it as the deconstruction of the false self. So uh, think of it as it's who you think you are, how you feel about yourself, and therefore how you project that into what we call the, the physical universe. So it was the removal of the false character or the ego mind identity and its story of disharmony. So as you remove the ego mind identity, the story that it has of its own disharmony has to go with it. So upon the, and you can never fully get rid of your, your ego. And I can talk about that in a second, but when it, it no longer is making any decisions for you, then you, you could say that the true self is now driving the bus of the incarnation. So it was the deconstruction of the false self, letting go of, of all misperceptions, misunderstandings, and misidentifications. And then what remains is, is clarity, calmness, connectivity, and communion with all things. And so that, that was the state. So that was the first step. And that's, that was uh, immediate. And it's interesting because, I mean, you, you changed it, which I was going to ask about. You started making it plural because I was going to say, I would assume it's not an identity. It's an identity is that you keep unfolding and unfolding and unfolding because we identify with so much, whether we believe it or not, like all these roles we take on. So for you, what were some of the ones that you were unraveling? Uh, well, the one that disappeared right away, which was the most important one, which is the foundation of the ego mind identity is identification with the form, with the physical body. Now, uh, I, I made it easy for myself in that mind was destroyed and I couldn't feel it. Right. So it's obvious I'm not my body because here I am right now, but I can't feel my body and I can't move it. So th that's the foundation. Once you identify with the body, the physical world becomes real. Right. Right. That's so, so interesting. I'm, yeah. That, that's how that happens. Right. Mm -hmm. And and the ego mind identity is formed through, through reincarnation or through incarnation as you drop in dimension and frequency and you, you're losing consciousness. You're losing the connectivity of what you are and where you come from and the oneness of everything. And by the time you get here, your, your disconnection is complete. And instead of going within and rekindling the connection to your own higher mind and your higher self, we create a character. 
based upon the form and, and anything else that we decide to align ourselves with here. So that upon the destruction of my body was done for me. As soon as I woke up for emergency surgery, it's almost like the whole thing was, was just went like. Yeah. And from, from that, I could teach how to remove, just like you said, like the layers, like an onion moving away. And that's what the beginning of the book is. I go on and on and on about the ego mind identity, how it's formed. But that is the block from, from self-healing and self-realization is everything. The story that you tell yourself and the story you tell yourself is the spell you put over your mind. And it's interesting because it feels like I am sure for a lot of people, this is actually a very difficult step. And it, I know you already had such a connection beyond and such a trust, like the fact that you came out of that surgery, you're like, yep, this is what's happening. I know it's a memory. I know this is what's happening. I'm sure if someone else were in this position, even it would just to even remove the fear alone and just the slight doubt that's living there because they identify more with the body would just be so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's a great challenge. I mean, it, it, it's really the, excuse me, it's really the greatest challenge. It really is. It doesn't get harder than self-realization and whatever word you want to use. It doesn't get any harder than doing that in the lower frequencies of the physical universe. This is as difficult as it will ever get for anyone right here, right now. Now, the simplest answer to this is to just be present. Sorry for the interruption, but I am sure you're kind of amazed by everything he's talking about. So don't forget, you have the opportunity to practice with him as well. March 19th, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to denmeditation.com. We have a discount for you guys. He's doing a virtual workshop with us. You get him live and in person, but from the comfort of your own home. Do not miss this. He's giving you quick, quick magic tricks on how to reach enlightenment, how to change your energy how to go into deep meditation with really very little effort. You really don't want to miss this. So here's your code. So write it down. It is magic, but with a C-K, M-A-G-I-C-K. So again, go to denmeditation.com, sign up for it March 19th. Put that code in when you are checking out because you guys are awesome, amazing, loyal listeners and you get $5 off. See you there. So in other words, if we want to... If we want to invoke our suffering, then all we have to do is summon the past or future. Right. Okay. Now, there is no suffering without a past or a future. It doesn't exist. You have to create it. That's right? true. So, so by just I mean, being by present, the way, that like people should hang on that for just a second. There is no suffering without a past or a future. Yeah. Yeah. And we create it. As I say, we invoke it. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's how we really do it. So uh, we invoke a past or a future, and then we create our own suffering. That's it. So by being present, now I know that's challenging. We're bombarded with stimulus. Yep. I, I get it. I'm having a human experience as well. I, I totally get it. Okay. <laughs> so th th this is a way that we can look at it, right? We all know what it's like to give ourselves permission to relax physically. We sit down. We lie down. Whatever. Right? Okay. Being present is just you simply giving yourself permission to relax mentally and emotionally. That's it. Now you're present. And this is the energy dropping down from your mental body and from your emotional body. Yeah. And, 
and then it sits right beneath your belly button above your groin. That's all anyone has to do. Hmm. You start there and the rest of the, the book teaches you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It is a simple, you know, I think very few people, I don't want to say very few, that's not fair. I think people don't realize how much control you have over your energy. Like just that alone, that simple thing you were doing is you're directing it. You're directing it. You got it. It's all about that. The book is all about commanding your energy. And that, that is our birthright. So this, okay. Maybe it's important to maybe give a little kind all this is in the book, but there's some context for this too. So we've used the word soul. Who knows for how long to describe what we really are. I'm really a spirit, a soul, you know, inside a physical suit. There's definitely a lot of truth in that, but it is my direct experience. That's not really accurate. So for me, what I discovered is that what we call the soul are two very distinct and different things. Hmm. Okay. So what we actually are is what I call sentience. Okay. Sentience uh, is a divine intelligence. Don't, don't associate that with thinking. Thinking is not that. So sentience is a divine intelligence. (laughs) What it is, is your level or amount or weight, believe it or not, of your love and wisdom and whose subsets are talents and abilities. That is the indirect fractal of God. Now that is what everyone is. And there's various levels of this. Say that again. Say that again. Say it again. Say the whole thing again. Yep. Repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Repeat. So so what, what we are is sentience. Okay. And sentience is a divine intelligence. And this divine intelligence is our level amount or weight of our love and wisdom whose subsets are our talents and abilities. Now that is what we all are at our core. That's what everything is at at our core. And that, that now this sentience, this divine intelligence has been given a complement or an amount of energy to create with. Now that's the energy that we use to think, to emote, to animate the body as I talk with my hands, right? To make the body have experiences and so on and so forth. Now that's the energy. It's like gas in the gas tank. Mm -hmm. That's the energy that we use. Now we are not what it is that we create, just like the painter is not the painting. Now that's hard on a human level, but it's not the painter part, but like as people, we do so get confused with not being what we create. Right. Well, we, we lose ourselves in the creation and and essentially we lose ourselves in the incarnation. We lose ourselves in what it is that we created an incarnation over here. And then we lose ourselves in that, but it's, it's easy to start to get, well, I shouldn't say easy. It's uh, clear. Yeah. Don't say easy. Yeah. It's not, (laughs) it's not, it's, it's not, Uh, but the truth is simple. So awareness, that presence, that awareness must already be present in order for an experience to even occur. Mm. Awareness, presence must already be there for a memory to be formed. Love it. Right. Okay. So everyone can feel that. Right. So that's really the start of it. And to realize that we are commanding this energy. We're not the energy. We're commanding it. And we're the awareness of what it is that we're creating. Just as the painter is not the painting. Now, to me, this is vital. And this is the difference between previous, I don't know, teachings or guidance or whatever words you want to use about the soul, right? 
What we are is that divine intelligence, that sentience that commands the energy. And as soon as we start to command the energy properly, we can do anything. We use our energy for everything. So it only stands to reason. If we want to have the most successful life possible in every facet, you have to have complete control over your energy. Right. So that's, that's the key. How do you protect your energy or do you not need to? Ultimate, okay, that's a great question. I would say that I'll, I'll jump to the, to the core truth and <laughs> then I'll back up. The, the, core, the core truth is you don't have to protect your, any, your energy from anything, okay? When you're fully present, there, there's, there's a, a natural, um, well, let's go, with a, let's go with a Merlin reference since we were joking around about my, my cup. So think of a castle, okay? So, you know, the drawbridge comes up on the castle, there's the moat, right? And the drawbridge comes up. Okay. Now, when you're fully present, okay, there truly is, and I know our physical eyes don't see this, but the higher mind can see it clear as day. So when we're fully present, we have an energetic drawbridge that comes up and we are at our most powerful when we're, when we're fully centered within the now, within the self, nothing can touch you in this state. And I mean it, nothing. Okay. Now, when we are leaking our power, our energy into a past or into a future, we make ourselves vulnerable. So now if we're doing that, then yes, we do actually have to protect our energy. Now, the reason why we keep leaking it is because we are identifying and getting caught up. That's your energy. You're identifying and getting caught up with going, with what's going on. And this is why we get affected. Now, if you're present, nothing can touch you. Abs- absolutely nothing. So the, the core of the answer is you don't need protection. But if until you have con- yeah, until you have control over your energy, then the teachings and what we're talking about and all these kind of things will help you gain dominion over your body of energy. And once you do, then you can literally do anything. And I mean anything. Sorry for the interruption, but I just wanted to remind you guys, if you want to go deeper, if you want more, we offer so many certifications and courses. There is Tarot 101 coming up. We have Psychic Mediumship. We also have a Reiki Level 2. So if you've been certified in one, again, these are all online. You can do them from anywhere, but they are live. So with great interaction. Plus, always check out our website. We have incredible classes. And if you are in the LA area, there's always workshops that we do live and in person. So check those out as well. We love this community. We love all of us growing together. Let's continue to do so. But do you find that people within this incarnation fall into one as far as like, look, trying to be, being present is the key, but most of us are working our way towards it. Do you find that energetically some fall into the leaking to the future or leaking to the past versus doing both? If that makes sense. Yeah. Does well, they go make hand, any sense? No, no, that makes sense. They go hand in hand. There is, there is no concept of the future without the concept of the past. Your past is your future. True. You can't have a future without a past, right? So what we call depression is languishing in the past. And what we call anxiety is constantly projecting into a future. Now you can't have a future without a past. So ultimately your future is your past. <laughs> I know that sounds insane, but it's no, I love the riddles. Yeah. The life, the life riddles. Yeah. So it, being present is the key. And let's, I mean, let's dismiss any uh, difficulty, I'm probably going to teach something on this anyway, but let's dismiss any kind of difficulty about being present. Okay. We all can do it easily. It's our natural state. 
We don't have to do anything. This is this is the this is part of the paradigm shift. We actually have to exert energy into the mental body. Often we first we emotionalize and then the mental body. But we have to exert or strain or effort to think. So, so that's that's the doing something. Meditation. How what, how could it be difficult to do something that doesn't require any effort? Right. Right. But why? So, so tell us why. We're we're so out of alignment. We've we've gotten so used to being crazy. Because it is so fascinating to... that it's like sorry, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it is such a funny thing when you actually put it that way. I wonder if it can actually help people yeah. start to readjust this idea of like it's taking you way more effort. To not be present than it is to actually be present, but it is. The, it's like you're right. We're so out of alignment. It's like it feels very unnatural. Yeah. Well, the the default. Well, because it's, it's, we're in a state of panic. The the default setting for humanity is thinking. Now, our our natural state is not thought. Our natural state is to be present, which requires no effort. You exist before you have a thought. You exist before you have an emotion. You exist before you got the body. You exist before any of this ever happened, and you'll exist well after. So our natural state is to just be present, total clarity, and it doesn't require any effort. If this was if this was difficult to do, I wouldn't be able to do it. This is simple to just be present. Just like I said, you give yourself permission to relax, <clears throat> excuse me, to relax physically, sit down, lie down, give yourself permission to relax mentally and emotionally. Oh my God. I love when you do that. I'm like, can you just be by me every second? Cause like, I know if people aren't watching this and they're just listening, like he's moving his hand down and energetically it's totally working. It's, <laughs> it's amazing it's what that does. <clears throat> yeah. This, this is real magic. I make no bones about this. Okay. I do real magic now with a CK, not magic with a C like three card Monty. So now when I say magic, Okay, magic is the accessing and utilization of energies that exist outside of physical sensory perception. That's what metaphysics is. Real magic and metaphysics are exactly the same thing, period. Okay, I do magic. I understand actual metaphysics. And the thing that I'm doing with my hand is magic. I have learned, and all of us know how to do this. I've just been doing it a long time. I know how to command energy. Period. And not just my own. So that's how you do that. It's simple. If we just give ourselves permission to relax, if you just realize right now, and anyone and everyone who's listening or is going to be listening, if you realize right now that what you are at your core, this fractal of God is already perfect. It's whole and complete as you are right now. And this now, you, contains everything. There's nothing in the next now that this now doesn't already contain. You are already whole and complete as you are. So give yourself permission to relax mentally, emotionally, and physically and be present and feel your beingness come online and then simply take your beingness and put it into your doingness. Don't mm. even bring the ego mind to the table. You don't need it. It's your limitation program. In fact, you don't want it, I promise you. So just bring the beingness to the forefront and then take the beingness and put it into the doingness. Now, because we're so out of alignment, because we're so far from home, so to speak, where here we are in the lower frequencies. It's not the third dimension, it's the third frequency. Here we are in the lower frequencies mm. of the physical universe. But the truth is still the truth. What you are is perfect, immortal, whole, and complete. Let yourself feel that. And then once you feel that, take that 
and put that into the next moment. That's all. You don't want the limitation program of the ego mind identity, which runs by thinking, right? Meditation, being present, it's not designed to control your thoughts. It's designed so your thoughts don't control you. Yep. That's exactly what I say before all my classes. When I'm introducing <laughs> like what I do, I literally say that we do this. It's basically your energy too. So you control your energy and it's not controlling you. Um, how much do you sleep at night? I know that's a random question. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a big sleeper. I never have been. Felt like you sleeper. weren't, which is why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I get, well, let me think about it. Um, if I get five or six hours, I'm, I'm, I'm solid though. Solid. Yeah. Uh, if I get five or six hours of, of solid sleep, I'm, I'm a tiger. I'm, I'm ready to go. And the key is the, the key is the, is the, uh, the quality of the sleep, right? If you get four five, six hours of really good sleep, that's better than nine or 10 hours of tossing and turning. Right. So I'm able to relax very, very deeply. I mean, I've trained myself, so I'm able to relax very, very deeply. So it's not difficult for me to, to, to fall asleep. And once, once we do that, we, we are rejuvenated and refreshed. I would really say the key the key to falling asleep goes back to what we just said about giving yourself permission to relax mentally and emotionally, because you're already lying, probably lying down to go to sleep, right? So just add to that, just add giving yourself permission to relax mentally and emotionally, and it'll be much easier to fall asleep. Talk about how important using words are, or are they not? Oh, okay. All right. I'll try not to give a long answer. <laughs> So anyone who using knows words. Me, right, using words. Anyone who knows me, I can talk for, uh, well, I have been forever. Uh, okay, so the, the, the thing to, to, we spell words for a reason, because the self-talk that you say yourself is the spell that you put over your consciousness and your body of energy. Make no mistake about that. So the self-talk, the voice in your head, you are literally spelling yourself, whatever it is that you say to yourself, because whatever conceptualized reality that we create for ourselves, the body has the tangible experience of that. Now that's the mind body connection in one sentence, forget all the other stuff, right? So whatever conceptualized reality you create for yourself, your body has the tangible experience of that. So your self-talk is the spell that you put over your consciousness and your body of energy. Now the key to me is not positive thinking because by the way, that's pointless. The, the key is not to tell yourself a story, to actually be present. And then there's no story. There's nothing to defeat. There's nothing to, oh, my God, I really got to do this. No, there, there's no struggle. There's no resistance because you're not creating any by the story that you're telling yourself. Now, thoughts, I hope that makes sense. Thoughts, yeah, thoughts are, in, are in context. Thoughts are always in context to something that we've already identified ourselves with. So some belief, some concept some ideology. You cannot think unless there's an identification already in place. I promise you. When all that's been removed, you actually can't think. Hmm. So so let's look at it this way, too. I'll add to that. Okay. I told you it'd never be a short answer. Okay. So I'll add to that. So the, the order, as I experience it, the order of creation is desire, intention, thought, emotion, action and behavior and that's the order, the order can you do the order again sure sure desire desire 
intention, mm-hmm. thought, emotion, action, and behavior. Okay. Now that is also the order frequentially. You think of remember a slinky, a slinky going down the stairs, right? Okay. So yeah, so that so that's the order. So think of energy coming down the stairs or dropping frequentially. Desire, intention, Sequentially, I like that. Yeah, we had to create some new words, right? I love it. (laughs) Now, we are most powerful when we operate in the desire and intention realm because those are higher frequencies. So when you marry yourself to your desire and intention and self become one thing, when there's unification with those three things, the only thing that you can think, emotionalize, take action, or develop behaviors over in regards to is your desire and intention. You can never be thrown off, okay? This is the key to all success. This little statement is the key to all success, is aligning yourself with your desire and intention. Most of us have a desire, a wish, a desire, and our intention to build a business, to do this, to do whatever it is, write a book, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't even matter what it is. We have a desire and intention to do something. Because there isn't unification, because we have not authentically married ourselves to this, as soon as our energy drops down into the thought realm, because there isn't unification, we're going to start thinking about all the different beliefs, ideologies, and concepts that we've aligned ourselves with, and we'll start doubting that we have the ability to manifest our desire and intention. And this is why we get off track. This This is the key to all of this. So the unification of your desire and intention makes you immensely immensely powerful. And this is the key to any kind of success achievement or any kind of manifestation that we ever do. And then how do you suggest, and I know what you're going to say, but I want, how do you suggest that alignment? Well, the alignment with the desire and intention is, a, to me, it's a unification, right? So we, the most important thing about the alignment and the unification is that we have to make sure that this desire and intention is coming from our true self and not our egoic mind. Now, when it's coming from the egoic mind, the egoic mind is bankrupt. It is weak. It's weakness personified. Mm. Okay, that, 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 that's all it is. Okay, that the slightest thing throws off the ego. One bad text message and someone loses it, right? There's no, there's no strength there. And the ego mind doesn't know anything. It authentically knows. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you right now. Just ask yourself, what do I know? I just want yeah. blank. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. I just want blank. Right. Exactly. There's nothing there. That's why I said it's bankrupt. Mm. There's nothing there. Your egoic mind is like silly putty. It just memorizes. There's nothing authentically there. That's why that thing has no power. That's why the ego of mine is easily knocked over by the slightest challenge to it. That's why it gets so triggered because it has to be right because it's so desperate and weak. It has to be right. (laughs) Right. So we have to understand where this desire and intention is coming from. Now we will know it's true. So to speak, when there's a deep passion and excitement about it and where you feel that, if you feel it right in the center of your chest, and even the very idea of this, this, whatever it is, this very desire and intention, even this very idea of it gets your juices going and you start to get excited about it. That's the real you. That's a true desire and intention. Now, once you are totally unified with that, nothing can stop you. 
Absolutely. Not. I'm here to tell you nothing can stop you. No matter if everyone says, hey, you're crazy. Hey, that's impossible. Hey, you can't do that. Hey, there's no way that's ever going to happen. Wrong. Wrong. When you align yourself with your higher mind and you command all of your energy, this is the superhuman. Yeah. This is what the superhuman is. And I want everyone to realize that me putting my destroyed body back together is your permission slip to do the impossible for yourself. And if you were making it super basic, in a way, that's what you did, right? I mean, you aligned your energy with the desire. Yeah, with my higher mind. My higher mind had been awakened, however you want to say that. And so I aligned myself, the finite mind or the rational thinking mind or the egoic mind had been silenced. So at a, and, at a certain point, as crazy as it sounds, at a certain point, you don't think. And the way we access that higher mind frequency is by letting go of, like what you said in the beginning, the roles, the egos, everything that's attached to this kind of physical incarnation. That's right. The longer that you sit in silence, the more that you'll see that all of those things that you thought were you were an illusion. They're not you. And I, I cheated. I made it easy for myself. I destroyed, I had my body destroyed in this incarnation. I couldn't, there's no way I could still think on my body. I couldn't move and I couldn't feel it. Right. But yet I, I was connected. I knew what the doctors were thinking before they walked in. I knew where they were going when they were leaving. So the, the communion and the clarity and the connectivity is, is beyond words. When this authentic, authentic, whatever words you want to use, enlightenment, blah, blah, blah. when this actually happens, okay, it, it's tangible and it's beyond what your thinking mind can even fathom. And these are the, the miracles that are written about that people consider lore and biblical and yeah, but Yeah, that is exactly right. These things that we've read about, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly, I'm not even going to add to that because I don't want to say too much. That's exactly right. I like when you speak though. Everything you say is like, it just makes me want to ask a million more questions. That's okay. Please, please do. I mean, part of, part of why I'm here is to be the embodiment. Uh, of what I teach and to be able to teach it because for everyone to realize that they can do it too. They've just been convinced whether they did it to themselves or society or their mom or their dad, whoever just told them that they can't, you can't, you absolutely can. But let me also make something clear. This takes dedication. Yeah. This takes effort. This takes desire. I have been challenged many times in this life. I gave myself the biggest challenge that I possibly could. Right. You have to be willing to be present and meet your challenges head on. I didn't snap my fingers and put my body back together. The amount of I don't really talk about this too often. I'll talk about it now. The amount of pain, physical pain. And agony mm. that it took to rekindle all the dead nerves in my spine and my leg. Was worse than the actual getting the paralysis. And I can remember, just like I said, that. And there's a video of it. I never posted it. Just never posted it. He took a video of me after I just finished doing all this kind of work on myself. My whole body was just shaking. And he used to walk into the room and he couldn't believe the amount of pain that he could feel just by walking into, into the room because of what I was doing to myself to put my body back together. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. I'm and so glad you one... said it though. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And ab beyond what you can imagine. And I mean it, I mean it. So, okay. And I, now when I, I say I didn't care how much it hurt, I didn't. Now I'll explain what that really looks like. 
when I got first discharged from the hospital rehab, I was still paralyzed. I could move my legs. I couldn't walk. I was still in a wheelchair, but it was, you know, it was being transcended. But at the time I was discharged because it was two months, it took me a hundred days. I was still in a wheelchair. Now my partner at the time, believe it or not, was on the floor and she needed back surgery, which she would eventually get about three or four weeks later after, right? So she was on the floor and literally couldn't sit in the chair and couldn't lie in the bed. She was on the floor, right? So when I returned in the, in the uh, wheelchair, I went from 20, 24 hour care to none and having to take care of her, right? Immediately. Okay, this is such a night and day wow. shift from what, from what just occurred, right? And I've done interviews with people. So a lot of this is documented. I've just never talked about it, never done anything with it, but at some point I'm going to, because we can do anything. Okay, so I had to start taking care of myself. I really wasn't ready to. I had to start taking care of myself. And I certainly wasn't ready to take care of someone on the floor, right? Okay, so it doesn't matter. You, you do what you have to do. Now, I was exerting my physical body, not just with the healing. I was exerting my physical body in ways that it was, it was too fast. It was too soon trying to take care of someone. So I remember Adrian came over and he, you know, he starts putting his hands on me and he's like, listen, RJ, I, I know you don't want to hear it, but if you keep doing what you're doing, okay, you're going to snap your entire rib cage. It's so brittle from the sepsis and all the strain and pressure on what you're doing. You're going to snap your whole rib cage. You hear me? And this is what I said to him. I said, I'm willing to break everything in order to put myself back together properly. Now, I share that for one reason and one reason only. That is the mindset of total victory. Right. That. So healing, okay, whether it's your physical body, mental, emotional, or all of the above, it is a lonely journey because only you can do it and only the truth heals but it is the most re rewarding and noble journey that we can ever put ourselves on. It is the true hero's journey. I mean that. Yeah. You must be willing to face your shadow self, your ego mind identity, your demons, what, what, however you want to say that. And if you do, and you stay the course, you will be victorious. The whole key is not to stop. I didn't care what happened to my, I didn't care how much it hurt and it hurt. I didn't care. I really didn't. I was going to do what I was going to do, and absolutely nothing was going to stop me. Certainly not my rib cage. Nothing was going to stop me. But I love that you're saying that because it's interesting when, you know, people think it's like, oh, the magic, the brain, the mind, like bringing the higher healing. You know, I think it, people almost imagine it's like, you know, and stuff's just naturally happening. But then it's a reminder that part of what you're healing is this physical incarnation part of this physical incarnation. There's a physicality mm. and that comes with pain and it. And so it is an immense blending of the two. It's like, it's not just, even though you're using that for healing, you have to remember that we are still physical. Yeah. So, right. We are the awareness of the body sensations, right? And now pain is inevitable in a physical incarnation because we have the experience of solidity because the energies are so dense in terms of how they're vibrating. So pain, if I, you know, fall down right now, I, you know, I'll feel pain. doesn't matter how enlightened, what, I'm going to feel pain. Okay. But I'm not going to suffer it. 
Now that's that's the difference. Pain and the suffering choice. are used. Yes, pain and suffering are used synonymously as if they're the same thing. They absolutely are not. No. Suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable. Suffering yeah. comes from identification, losing ourselves in the experience. Remember, the painter is not the painting. Just because you're aware of bodily sensations doesn't mean you have to suffer them. It's that simple. And when you maintain that level of detachment, and there's magic tricks in the book about what to do with, with pain. Because I, I, I'm there. I know what that's like. I had to develop meditations and these techniques to do in extraordinary levels of pain. Oof. Extraordinary levels of pain. How to be completely clear, calm, and command energy when the body is totally freaking out. Totally freaking out. So pain is going to happen. Don't be afraid of pain. Don't be afraid of pain. In fact, one of the things I've learned to do when I would get a jolt of pain where you want to scream, instead of tensing up, which increases and causes resistance, which makes the pain worse. More, yep. I say this to my I all would, the time. <laughs> that's it. So because that's that's the lower consciousness. We resist right away. Yeah. Right? The natural inclination pain is to tense up, right? Okay, that makes it worse. So what I learned to do when I would get a nice jolt of pain through my spine and my legs, I would literally relax. Now that's the higher mind. Yep. Only the higher mind can do that. The lower mind braces, it reacts, the higher mind responds. So I taught myself when I got pain, I would almost sink deeper into my body. And that would give me more distance between me and my actual body. So I started to feel this space. And once you have space, that's the room that you can work. Mm. That was really the key. And then with that, that's I developed huge. all these things about moving energy within that space and all this kind of, it's in the book, how to, how to do all that kind of stuff. But the, the key is to always have the higher mind take over, always have the higher mind be present. And then the suffering never actually occurs. So interesting. I'm li I mean, my child's only seven and she has a very low pain tolerance and high fear. And it's funny, I'm always having these conversations with her. And I was just telling the story today in class, how this morning she literally showed it when I was just trying to help clean her earlobe from a piercing. And it doesn't even hurt anymore. It's fully healed, but I'm trying to help her. And she slowly moved from like the center of like the bathroom all the way to the wall. And I could show her, I was like, okay, Levy, look, look what you just did. I'm trying to help you. And you moved, you were standing here and now you're standing there. And she's like, and I go, and I get it. You're uncomfortable and the fear is coming. And I understand. So what I need you to do, I need you to go back to that middle. And when you feel the discomfort, I need you to just stand and just stand in it. I was like, and then maybe breathe instead of the moving. When you want to move, start really breathing. And I will say for the first time ever, she did it. She normally, she never listens to me because that's like the relationship. You're never <laughs> supposed to listen to your parent. Um, but it was interesting because it was a way to also just show her what you're doing. Like you're literally letting it take you and what you have to do. Cause I tell her all the time, like what you just said, I'm always like, fear's always going to be there. And it's how do you learn to like walk with it and then go beyond it? It's not, it doesn't, you can't wait for it to disappear and then do something, but that's where she's at. But it's so interesting to hear you talk about that. And then the space, it's just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really the key. All of our suffering comes from identification. Yes. All suffering. And that's the most persistent disease on this planet. But it's a hard it, to tell that to someone who identifies with suffering. It, it, it does. But you could always say, aren't you what's aware of what it feels like? Because if you were what it feels like, how could you be aware of it? Yeah. Another riddle. I like it. Right. So you're always the awareness of everything that's going on. We are this, this immortal creator being that's aware of what we're doing with our energy. 
Mm. We are the awareness of all of this. And I find that so inspiring. Like, and I would hope everyone else who hears, it's like the idea of remembering you have control. Yeah. And in fact, one of the mantras that you could say to yourself is that I am control. Ooh. Yeah. And let yourself feel that when you say it, I am control. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it's empowerment beyond what the ego mind can really fathom because it's tangible. The ego mind is nothing about tangibility. Right. So it's always about concepts, beliefs, ideologies, pasts and futures, which just don't really exist. They're just mental machinations. They're just the energy within the mental body swirling around. It amounts to nothing. But when you say, I am control, you can feel it. It's tangible. Yeah. And then, so it, always, and then it's shifting your vibration, right? Completely. Yeah. Completely. This is, what this, this is what this is all about. All of these teachings, all these other books that are going to come out, all this kind of stuff. This is, this is about, I'll, I'll use one word, transmutation. Transmutation. Okay. What we're taking, what we're doing is we're taking low frequency and transmuting it into high frequency. Everything. I love right? it. And that's what the truth does. Whether it's the body is disharmonious, the mental body is disharmonious, the emotional body is disharmonious, all of the above are disharmonious. When you look at it clearly, right, with the eyes of wisdom, you can transmute that into high frequency. And that's what all these teachings are about. It's to bring what's already available to us, the knownness and the wisdom which is never available to the physical sensory perceptions. It's outside of physical sensory perceptions, which is why it's elusive for human beings. So when we transcend that and we start to work with this wisdom, this is the transmutation of low frequency into high frequency. And once you start doing that, you realize that you can change. Everything. <laughs> you, you can change water into wine. You can unparalyze yourself. You can do all of these kind of things. Now, dare I say, you have to do it properly. Yes. Okay. You have to do it properly. I've heard people say, you know, RJ, I go to the gym all the time and you take a look at him and you're like, oh, how are you working out? What are you doing? <laughs> like, and you know, no disrespect, but dude, you go to the gym all the time. Right. Right. Okay. Now people can say, oh, I'm spiritual. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. Well, okay. And I hate that word spiritual, right? I metaphysics. Know. It's yep. about metaphysics. That's what it's about right? Low frequency and high frequency, energy and sentience. These things are tangible, okay? Religion clouds our perspective, right? Hopefully these teachings will long outlive my body and eventually people are going to start to see the commonality between this religion, that religion, and say, wait a minute, this is all I metaphysical. Say that all the time. The yes. Same thing, right? And this is an easy guide to understand it. And that's what this is. It's an easy guide to understand it that puts you through a repeatable, robust process of self-healing and self-realization. Anyone can do it. We're all going to do it. Many of us have done it before. I just mm -hmm. simply remembered. I love this. I love this conversation. I'm so stimulated. So I appreciate you for that because that's always just, I mean, what else are we doing? So to ha have the stimulation, I really appreciate it. I feel like we need to do a part two because I do have like, there's so many other things I want to talk to you about. Um, I hope everyone, you guys should probably listen to this episode like two times at the very least because there's so much good stuff in this. and. Thank you. I mean, that's all I can say is thank you for being here and, you know, coming here to teach. Clearly you're here to teach and remind us all who we are. And so I really appreciate that. You and are most, you're most welcome and you don't have to thank me. It's, it's my honor and it's my joy. And it's my love to be here. Oh, I mean, you're great. 
So everyone stay tuned so you can get his personal practice, which I'm telling you, he is magic. I've now felt it like 15 different separate times on this podcast already. It's amazing. Um, so stay tuned. And RJ, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're most welcome. Now it's RJ's personal practice, which is something super easy that you can use for yourself that will absolutely change your energy. All of us, we've all heard of the I am before because every single thought, every single thing that we do starts with I am. I'm going to do this. I'm wondering. I'm going here. Everything starts with I am because that is the God force within us all. That's what I am is. It is the creative force in action. It determines and creates everything. Now, most of us were living at the edge of miracles. I want humanity to live at the center of the miracle machine for us to realize just how unlimited we actually really are. Now, to do that, you can't use your ego mind identity to create your life. What you need to use is this I am, the true God force in action. And there is no statement that I have ever uttered or that I have ever heard in this incarnation or any other that is more powerful than the statement I'm about to say right now. Now, the key to this one sentence, to any true command, and that's why I use commands. I'm not really into prayer, affirmations, or mantras. I'm into commands spoken directly from the I am because there's nothing more powerful than that. Nothing. And this is the most transformative I am command that you can ever say to yourself. Let yourself feel it when you say it. And it is, I am the immeasurable I am in full stature now. And let yourself feel that. Say it again and again and again until it is true. And that I am cannot be stopped, cannot be measured, cannot be held back. It is the God force in action. And it is you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.